Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 305 of the podcast. My name is Kerry Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. Well, I got something really exciting to share with you guys. Uh, thank you so much. I run into you. I've been traveling a lot this fall. I've met so many of you who say, hey, I was there from episode one. What a journey this has been. And guess what, guys? We're hitting a big milestone any day now. 10 million downloads. And what we're going to do is we are going to celebrate. We're going to celebrate in a couple of different ways. Okay. First, on the day we hit 10 million, it'll be sometime in the next three weeks. Uh, we're going to celebrate by giving away a thousand dollars worth of Starbucks because we just do this, right? You guys love it. In a single day, we're going to post one $500 gift card in the morning and other in the afternoon. And to win that part of the 10 million download giveaway, just follow me on social. I'm on Instagram at Carrie Newhoff, Facebook and Twitter at C Newhoff and turn on notifications so you see when we post. And uh, you know what? You're not going to be in line and three minutes later, the card is empty this time. Hey, when we got that much (laughs) on a card, it may last for uh, a few minutes. So we're going to celebrate by giving away free Starbucks. But then this is what I'm really pumped about. Okay. We are actually going to take five listeners and fly you to Nashville, Tennessee in 2020. And we're going to take you to a one day coaching session with me. We're going to treat you really, really well, take you out for dinner, put you up in a really nice spot. And it's just five listeners are going to win a day with me in Nashville, Tennessee, an amazing city. And we want to celebrate you, invest in you and your leadership. And so here's what you need to do. Just go to leadlikeneverbefore.com slash 10 million. That's the number 10 million. Leadlikeneverbefore.com forward slash 10 million. And uh, it's that simple. Uh, The criteria, how you enter is there. That contest is open until December 13th. We don't know when we're going to hit 10 million. So we're going to keep that open to December 13th. So just head on over to leadlikeneverbefore.com slash 10 million. And five of you will be with me in Nashville in 2020 for a one-day session together in person. It's going to be incredible. So really excited for that. Uh, We got an Ask Carrie at the end of this episode. I'm going to talk about moving from board-based leadership to staff-based leadership. And want to thank our partners. Today's episode is brought to you by Married People and Pro Web Fire. Our guest is Carlos Whitaker. It is so hard to give a bio on Carlos because what hasn't he done? He's a best-selling author, He is a musician. These days, he is a speaker. We talk all about quitting his career cold turkey and how that went. Uh, He's a former blogger, a podcaster, very active on social media. He's won a People's Choice Award. Actually, when we recorded this, if you follow Carlos, his daughter was very healthy. And at the time that I'm recording this, a few months after we did the interview, when we were together in, I think, Los Angeles, where we did this, is uh, Carlos' daughter has fallen sick. And so a lot of us are praying for him. We're tracking with you, Carlos, on social media. I don't know if by the time this airs, uh, that will have turned around. We hope and pray it will. But Carlos is an open book. And that's one of the things I love about him as a friend and as a leader. So I think you're going to love this episode. 
And you know what, guys? I'll bet you think of your church as above average. You know, 77% of people think they're above average. But anyway, (laughs) you know what? We are looking for 20 churches who want to ignite their growth in 2020. Pro Media Fire and Pro Web Fire are looking for 20 churches who want to really up their strategy on digital outreach, on Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, custom graphics and videos, churches who want a new church website. Three criteria you have to apply. You have to be prepared for growth and have systems in place. You have to be willing to make a monthly financial investment throughout 2020 and be willing to talk about it in exchange for a 30% discount. If you're ready, only 20 churches will be accepted, but you can apply until December 1st. You only got a few more days at promediafire.com forward slash 2020. So head on over there and get that done. And then what is your church doing with married people in 2020? My friend Ted Lowe started Married People about a decade ago, and they are doing an incredible job on just changing the game in marriage ministry. Because there was a study done a few years ago that said a lot of people think marriage ministry in a church is like preachy, boring, outdated, and not very masculine. Well, uh, what if you could flip that and do it in an entirely different way that is current, relevant, professional, helpful, and honestly, really, really fun? Well, because you're a podcast listener, go to marriedpeople.org forward slash carry. That's marriedpeople.org forward slash carry. You can get 30% off the annual marriage ministry resource bundle. Everything you need to create an entire year of marriage ministry. It's marriage ministry re-engineered in the best way. So head on over to marriedpeople.org forward slash carry and you will get some incredible savings today as you look to build into families. And that, as you know, is a great investment. Well, guys, so excited to bring you this conversation with Carlos Whitaker. So without further ado, here we go. Carlos, welcome back to the podcast, dude. Hey, man. Thanks for having me, Carrie. We are in Orange County. Like, can anything Uh, be wrong when you're in Orange County? Nothing. I walked out of the hotel this morning and I just thought, why, oh, why? Can my morning walk out of my home not feel exactly like this? Because <laughs> you're, you're in Nashville, right? I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, where right now basically you can cut the air with a butter knife. So it's it is humid. It is it's hundred percent humidity every day, just so yeah, wow. it's it's bad. So I'm I'm enjoying my twenty hours in Orange County. <laughs> exactly. You and I are in and out. You know, just, you know, pe- people think a lot, Gary, like, oh, you travel and you speak and oh, you're going to Orange County and stuff like that. I'm like let me tell you, I see the inside of an airplane, the inside of an airport, the inside of an Uber, the inside of a hotel room, the inside of a church, and then just reverse that and I'm back home. I don't really necessarily. No, you know, see, I get the yeah. same stuff. Yeah. People are like, wow, what was California like? I'm like, well, the hotel was okay. Yeah. You know, totally. I got a convertible. They just threw me a convertible. No, you didn't. But Did like, you drop the top? No. No, oh, okay. Okay, you I will. will before when I return it. The uh, six okay. minutes I yes. have to the airport before yes. I return it, I will drop the top. Oh, my gosh. And away we go. But it's good to see you. Hey, uh, before we dive in today, you've done a lot of reinvention. And I know leaders are always reinventing themselves, mm, yeah, right? Yeah. So you... Ten years ago, when we met, or whenever that yeah. was, you were a worship leader, assigned worship artist with Integrity Music. That was life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so you're a musician, an artist, and you pivoted to become like what are you? And you were always blogging on the side. Yeah, right? yeah, and and uh, it's crazy. I was I was full time music. I mean, I was on tour with you know on Winter Jam and all the, all the things. Yeah. And Mike Foster, of all people, you know Mike. Yeah. Yeah. He told me one day we we're having lunch about six years ago out here. And he said, Carlos, 
I know that you're a good worship leader, but you're a great thought leader. And the mm. reason why most people follow you isn't because you're a great worship leader. And he kind of hurt my feelings, but he kind of <laughs> told me the truth. He said, it's because of what you say, not what you sing. And that was a pivotal point for me where I started to have more and more people speak that over me. Um, Andy Stanley, same thing. When I was at North Point, he said, the reason why you're a great worship leader at our church isn't because how you sing. It's what you say between the songs. Wow. And the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I thought, maybe they're right. And so I did a huge pivot. Um, pretty drastic. I went from, I felt like God was telling me, I mean, you need to stop singing. You need to start speaking. You need to stop singing. You need to start speaking. And it was scary. And I did what, you know, probably most people shouldn't do. I just kind of went to my inbox and I canceled all my worship leading gigs for the rest of the year. And I said, the Lord's going to give me speaking gigs. I believe in for it. <laughs> and 87 dates I canceled. Um, no way. Yeah. Carrie, and I uh, I waited. This is actually all in the next book, so you guys are getting a little sneak so peek. So cold turkey. Cold turkey, but not cold turkey because I felt like God told me to, and okay, all my friends okay. told me to. Yeah. And so so I, I I canceled them all and fully expecting to wake up the next morning and everyone be like, oh, because my email was like, hey, the Lord's told me I need to be an author and a speaker, not a worship leader. So I know I, I'm not going to see anymore, but if you need me to come speak at your event instead of sing, like I'd love to come do that. So <laughs> this was me in full faith thinking everyone's going to be like, well, of course. Yes. So I woke up the we've next morning. We've been waiting for this yes, moment. Yes, we've been waiting Carlos. for this moment. I woke up the next morning, I checked my inbox, and of course, I just kept getting email after email saying, that is amazing. We're so proud of you. Great work. But I mean, no, we have Bob Goff already. We, like, we, don't, we don't need another speaker. <laughs> and s Carrie, day after day, my bank account and all the deposits started going down, 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 and I'm freaking out. And I'm like, God, you made a mistake. Seven days in, 13 days in. Have I told you this story before? No, we haven't done this. Okay. 13 days in, I'm, I'm mad now at God. Yeah. I'm like, God, you told me to, to change careers, take a drastic, and I'm angry, shaking my fist at God. And um, I go to Home Depot and I go to Starbucks. This is after I've, I've been like on tour. I'm leading worship at Elevation, doing all these things. And I fill out applications because I'm like, <laughs> I have to provide for my family. Barista. So so I filled out, Barista Carlos, I filled out the, a the Starbucks. in aisle two. Yes. And that's then, yeah, exactly. So that's what I was thinking I'd gone to. And then day 13 and a half, I get an email in my inbox and it's it's from my, um, actually, actually, I get an email in my inbox and it just said, the White House would like to, oh, and that's yeah. all it said. And I hit delete. You may remember this. And I hit delete because I thought, oh, it's just spam. Like I subscribed to all the political yeah. emails and stuff. So I didn't even read it. And then 30 minutes later, my um, publicist like starts blowing my phone up. And after about seven missed calls, I was like, yes, what do you need? And uh, she's like, they know you deleted the email. I said, who knows? So I the White the House knows everything. She goes, go check. So I checked and it said, the White House would like to invite you to be the keynote speaker and give one song at the Easter prayer breakfast in the East Room of the White House, like in four days. So I'm freaking out. And of course, my first question is, A, how do they know I deleted the email, right? Uh, like, are uh, there drones outside my window? Like, how do they, you know? And then, uh, and number two, you know, I'm, my very first speaking gig ever was at the East Room of the White House. And I gave a 10 minute devotional and I sang nothing but the blood of Jesus. And it's been downhill since then. Like I, I like, I like my speaking career. I like, I've never, uh, so that was my very first speaking gig ever. That's pretty good. When you get the white house. Yeah. Yeah. I got the white dude, house. So dude. it was, uh, I, my wife recorded it while I was up there and you know, president, uh, was sitting right there and I mumbled, I fumbled president through president Obama at the time, okay. 2014. 
uh, 2000, yeah, for 2014 Easter prayer breakfast. And, um, uh, maybe we'll, I'll give you a link so people can actually click and, and see a little yeah, clip yeah, of it. Totally. It was, it was crazy. I actually sat at his table, had breakfast with him, um, had a private meeting in the Easter, in the red room of the white house. Um, I called my dad while I, I said, my dad's a first generation immigrant into this country. This is like, he can't believe that his son is in the white house. And he said, let's call your father. No way. Yes. So you and Obama call your dad. And I called my dad and, um, my dad said, Carlitos. And then the president just took the phone and said, Dr. Whitaker, I just want to tell you how proud you'd be of your son. And my dad is weeping on the other end. It was, oh, it I'm was, it was a magical moment. It was, it was, it was pretty amazing. So Dude. all that to say, right? Like the, the, the growth wasn't in like the growth in my life as a believer didn't happen when I got the email, the growth happened in the in-between, right? The growth happened mm. in the 13 days, like, like mm. that nobody ever matures in their faith on vacation. Like we're maturing <laughs> right in our, in, in those, in those tough seasons, you know? And so that's when, you know, I had a lot of growth in, in that. Um, and I've been speaking ever since since. So wow. I've, I've been writing books and talking about them. How did, how did you get on the radar screen of the white house or do you know? I know. Okay. So, um, everything always goes back to social media for me mm-hmm. just cause I, I blast my life on it. But I had, I had um, shot a video from a music video in downtown Atlanta for my first record with Integrity Music. And a homeless man walked into the video while we were shooting it. We were, it was outside in the park, like in the early six in the morning. And so I thought he kind of screwed the shot up. And so I'm like, oh, but then the man walks up to me and says, you singing gospel, man. Hmm. And I said, yeah, I'm singing gospel. He goes, can I sing with you, man? And we kept the cameras rolling. And this video went viral of this, this, Jamaican homeless man in Atlanta singing a duet with me to my song, God of Second Chances. Well, all that to say, President Obama saw that video on Facebook, went to his secretary of faith and family at the time, Joshua Dubois, and said, I want that guy. No way. I want that guy no to come. Way. Yes, that's how it happened. So that is, that is the amazing flatness of the internet, yes. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. You've had, how many videos... Uh, truly, even on what Good Morning America, yeah, well, yeah, Good Morning, all, all the, the Ellen Show, Jimmy Kimmel Show, all uh-huh. the shows, because of one big viral video when my son, right, with your son. started crying, and yeah. that was like yeah. years ago. That was a decade ago, yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. But you've had a bunch, like even that bird thing, right, where you were trying to save the bird. Yeah, La La Lives. That? I'm actually talking about that in my breakout today. So you know, and I'm telling people all of these things with social media. Like the reason why people and my Instagram stories and things go viral isn't necessarily because like, there's not a strategy in place. The right. only strategy like, I have to make a viral video. Yeah. The only strategy I have in place is I am going to make a story that moves people once a week. That's my goal. And so, you know, um, we had a bird, like a, a bird had, had baby Robins. And then I put a camera on him and an owl attacked the, and murdered all the Robins in the middle of the night. So all my followers are feeling devastated. But then later that day I go outside and I find one of the baby birds underneath the nest on the floor. And then, but I'm, I'm just recording things that most people aren't recording. And that's all I'm telling people is like, just document, 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 and things will start, things will start happening. So, um, I have a whole bunch of videos. Yeah. That have kind of gone viral, um, because I'm just intentional about being a storyteller. What moves people? What moves people is, um, everybody wants, wants to hope for somebody else, for something else. Hmm. And what I found is people don't necessarily just want to hope for themselves. They want to hope for something else. Um, and it just makes people come alive. And so the bird, hmm. like I had, I'm listen, I'm sure I didn't do a survey, but I'm sure I had 50% of 
Trump lovers, 50% Obama lovers, all rooting for the same thing, right? Because like, we're not like, that's not what I'm, I'm not trying to divide people. I'm trying to unite people and people mm. want to be united and hope for something else. And so the bird, and then a couple of weeks ago, I found a, um, a butterfly in my front yard and I named the butterfly Barb. And I had a whole story go viral about rescuing this butterfly, right? And people, you got to give people things to cheer for, to root for, and to hope for. Um, and I think that's what makes people, you know, really come alive. So it's fantastic. Let's yeah. uh, go back a little bit to that pivot you did a few years ago. Yeah. So um, must have been a lot of fear. How did you? How, why didn't you just kind of hedge your bets? Like one of the pieces of career advice you would get is don't quit your day job. Right. Right. You got a lot of gigs. So yeah. kind of do a blend yeah. where you're going to do 87 worship events, but maybe you'll have two speaking events yeah, the first yeah, yeah. year. Why, why did you not follow that process? Um, I've just never followed <laughs> that process. That, that's, that's just not, you that's not me. And yeah. so like, I tell people all the time, don't do this. Um, but also I, I tell people this all the time, even John Acuff, We'd had this yeah. conversation before. He said, you know, Carlos, sometimes I'll follow you on Instagram and I'll think to myself, um, man, like I wish, I wish that could happen for me or that would happen. Or man, how does Carlos have a bird go viral? And like, mm -hmm. you have all these incredible moments in your life. And yeah. I tell him, well, John, also, I've also had my car repossessed because I forget to pay the bills. Uh, I've also had to 13 days of misery because I am applying at Home Depot and, you know, all of these things happen. It's kind of, for me, like it's one way or the other. Like John plays a lot safer bets. And mm -hmm. uh, and so like when, when you play safer bets, you may not have louder moments, but you, you'll still have moments that you can, you know, you can show people. But what I've done and what I've realized is when when I kind of play, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm playing craps now, you know, at life. I'm not saying to gamble at life, but I'm saying I'm taking big bets. And yeah. these big bets that I'm taking pay off in big moments. So yeah, it's just kind of how I've been, my DNA, it's kind of how we do things, kind of how my family does things. Um, and and it, it's, it's provided for a lot of, of moments. <laughs> do you ones. ever worry that it's not going to work and it's just going to all fall apart? Um, no. <laughs> Only because, um, I mean, okay, yeah, sure, sure, mm -hmm. but... But not a lot. Only, only because, Carrie, I've been at this now. I quit my day job at North Point Community Church. Um, I mean, it, it was 2010, and I haven't, I haven't like had a boss since then. And and I remember freaking out at that moment. Nobody was coaching. Nobody was doing stuff like that back then. And I yeah. started this little creative coaching thing. And and God has just provided nonstop ever since. Like I've never missed a. We've never missed a paycheck. We've never, you know, always had food on the table. And there's been moments and seasons where it's been really, I mean, like we haven't had a lot. And I mean, even like this summer, if people followed us on Instagram, we went, people look at my Instagram and they think we went to Africa. We went to Uganda. We went to um, London. We went to Paris. We went to all these places. And they're probably thinking, oh, Carlos is living this bougie lifestyle. <laughs> no, like we're just risking a lot to do this. And so, I mean, let me tell you, August, like we actually, I had to actually call my parents, like, Dad, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pay the mortgage this month. We had an epic summer, but of, of course the Lord provided, but I got scared. I did get scared. Like, mm -hmm. babe, I think, I think this was the summer that we pushed it too far. You know, right. um, it's, but you know, this is, this is not leadership principles you're going to find in any book anywhere, <laughs> but what it is, it is moment-making principles that is going to help people, um, have these incredible moments in their lives that, you know, if you risk, if you risk a little, you, you may end up with a lot. Hmm. So. What have been some of your greatest risks? Yeah, my greatest risks. Um, 
Well, I, I would say leaving my job at North Point was a big risk for me. Um, I would say, obviously, um, changing, uh, pivoting in a, in a career that was really doing well. I mean, I was on the, on the up and up. Like hey, if you got 87, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I was, bro, yeah, yeah. Like it was, okay. yeah, things were good. Like I had retainers with Elevation at the time, um, with um, a couple other churches at the time where I was leading worship every month. So things were stable and they were good. That was a big risk. Um, I, I think another big risk is, you know, people can want to rewind back to our last podcast was sharing my story mm. of utter devastation in my life and wondering is, do people even want to read this kind of train wreck? Yeah. And that was kill the spider. Yeah. Kill the spider. And, um, and you know, where the book sold, you know, so many copies and people's lives have been so affected by it. Um, that was a big risk as well. And, you know, I think I'm, I'm taking a risk on this next book as well. You know, like mm -hmm. I'm, I'm you talking give about us a snapshot. It's yeah. not out until 2020. Yeah. It's not until 2020, but listen whenever they listen. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the book is really, you know, John 10, 10, a thief comes to steal, kill and destroy. I've come that they have life and have it to the full. I think most people have been, they don't know what that means. Like what does life yeah. to the full mean? Does it mean like it's going to be raining dollar bills and I'm going to be driving a <laughs> Tesla and you know, and so I'm trying to kind of reframe that. And the, what the book is doing is I've been raised in a very conservative church yeah. um, and I, I had a great, great conservative roots and I've loved it. But in the last four years, my family has kind of pivoted into more of a charismatic world and in a world in a space I've never been a part of. And suddenly I'm realizing there, there is more on this side of the veil of heaven than I ever thought was available. So what, I, what the book is doing, it's taking my friend's hands walking them through the wardrobe, picture Narnia. Um, Lucy's walking up to the wardrobe. She kind of pushes the coats aside and she peeks her head across and she sees Narnia. And I'm taking my friends through the wardrobe saying, hey, look, all of this miracle signs and wonders, the Holy Spirit, this is actually available on this side of heaven. Um, so you can come with me and step across into Narnia or you can stay, uh, you can stay in the house if you want. And um, so, and I think I do it in a really respectful way. And I think I do it in a way that I would want to somebody four years ago for me to say, Carlos, there's, there's actually more uh, than you believe is available. So that's a little snapshot of what the book's going to be. No, that's fascinating. And for any business leaders that might be listening in going, what, 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 what? It's, it's kind of like, you know, you look at Hollywood. People, yeah. people so there's kind of two planes of existence. Yeah. One says everything's in the natural. If, if you say you were mir miraculously healed, yeah. it's only because... They just haven't figured out yet sure. what, what, what happened. Yep. Everything operates in the natural, everything according to physical laws, et cetera, et cetera. And yet people are fascinated with the supernatural, particularly the occult. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. Which is great. Yeah. And so in popular culture, you only really see the negative side of yes. the supernatural. Yeah. And then you see what many people would say, the charlatans, the hucksters, yep. the faith healers, yep. the, yeah. the crazy side yep. of the oh, good. Yeah. Yep. You're not talking about that. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about... This is like normal people are going to have their, hopefully when they read the book, they're going to come to a realization that, because I, I honestly, at the end of the day, believe, believe that even my agnostic and atheist friends, mm -hmm. they know that there's something bigger. There, yeah. there is something more. We are spiritual beings in some way, shape or form. You can't watch a sunrise without believing that. And so what I, I think it, yeah, it's, it's not weird at all. And it's kind of, honestly, it's kind of what Kill the Spider did. Like it took what was a very supernatural thing in her healing. And it made it palpable for people that maybe aren't there yet. You know, 
breaking agreements with the enemy. No, let's mm-hmm. kill the spider. You know, and, and it so, was about a pattern, just so yeah, people, pa- yeah, you know, yeah. Give, it, give us the thumbnail. Yeah, yeah. A spider's spider. an agreement you've made with a lie, and a cobweb is a medicating behavior that mm-hmm. brings comfort to the lie. Instead of cleaning the cobwebs, which is what ninety nine percent of people do, how to stop drinking, how to stop looking at porn, how to stop doing all those things. You've got to find the root of that behavior, which is a lie you believe, and you got to break an agreement with the lie. Right. And so, um, but but also that's a very that's an actual supernatural concept if you look mm. biblically. And so all I've done is um, the the next book is divided into three sections, and the first section is is hearing from God. Um, the second section is once you hear from God, how do you how do you deal with what you've heard? Uh, how do you how do you kind of go into war with whatever it is that you need to? And then the third step after you've done that and after you've killed the spider, quote unquote. Uh, what does life look like stepping into abundance and life to the full? Um, and yeah, I mean, it is, um, I'm excited because I, I think, I think it's going to, it's going to challenge some people, but I hope by the end of it, um, people are going to be risking enough to go, all right, well, maybe I'm going to give this a shot. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's going to blow people's minds because that's what it did for me. Well, I know you spent a lot of time over the last couple of years to just talking to people about anxiety. Yeah depression, mental health. It's funny, I was saying to my wife, Tony, uh, when we flew in last night to Orange County, I remember being here a year ago for this event that you and I are speaking at today. And uh, Andrew Steckline had just committed suicide. And I met the student guy from his church. And then of course, last week when we were recording this, Jared Wilson took his own life to this made like Fox News, CNN, the whole deal, but just two young, charismatic, Everything kind of in front of them. Yeah. Leaders who ended up taking their own life. Yeah. And it's a very real thing. And I mean, I talk to CEOs, business leaders, oh, church yeah. leaders all the time who struggle with anxiety, who struggle with depression, who are, you know, and Kill the Spider is a great read. The whole idea there is if you're medicating yourself through alcohol, drugs, yep. porn, sex, all that stuff, it's a much better possibility to, instead of just dealing with your cobwebs every day, kill yep. the spider. Yep. I think you got that from your dad, didn't you? I did, yeah. Yeah. My dad dad told that story. And, you know, I I have been dealing a lot with anxiety and or helping people with it. Carrie, one of the, you know, one thing that I've been very vocal about the last decade on the internet, even before social media, when I was just Mm -hmm. blogging, I had a blog. You guys remember what a blog was? Um, I still do it. Oh, there you go. There's four of us. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I was very vocal about my struggle with anxiety. I mean, I had had kind of the D-Day moment for myself was, Let's see, my daughter's 17 now. So she was, so this was 16 years ago. I had my Mm. first full fledged panic attack on stage at my church while I was leading worship. um, And it knocked me out for seven months. I I wasn't able to get back up on stage. I could barely leave my home. I went from zero, like everything's fine in my life, to like, I literally thought I was having a heart attack. And then everything broke inside of me um, mentally. And listen, this was 16 years ago. So this was before it was even remotely cool. Mm. in church to talk about mental yeah, illness. I, I mean, yeah, I had anxiety. people telling me all the myths, like I'm, my faith isn't big enough. My prayers aren't strong enough. My, I just need to believe in God more, you know, all the things that at the time I was like, okay, okay, well, I need to pray harder, you know? And um, man, Carrie, it was a, it was a rough, rough. I mean, I, rough is like the nicest term I could say. I mean, it was, I was in some very dark, dark, dark times back then, very alone, um, especially as a worship pastor that this had happened to. I, again, I tried to lead worship maybe three months later, got up on stage and had another panic attack. The second I got on stage, had to get wow. back off. And so I thought I'm ruined. Like God, like the one gift you've given me, I feel like you've taken it away. And I was as depressed as 
as I've ever been, um, as dark as I've ever been. And um, um, I, praise the Lord, have fully been healed of it wow. now. Um, but what I used to tell people, Carrie, is, and I think I, I meant well when I was saying this a decade ago, but I used to tell people, God has given me enough strength to deal with my anxiety. And I guess that's halfway true because he, he had, he did. But, but the other part of, I guess the, the, the miracle signs and wonders supernatural part that I wasn't stepping into at that point is, well, yeah, sure. God, God has given me enough strength to deal with my anxiety, but maybe God wants me to actually completely be healed of it. But mm-hmm. in the moment, like anyone struggling with this, it seems impossible. Um, and now on the, on the flip side of it, where I have been healed of, like I used to have a panic attack when I'd walk on stage. Now I speak on stages around the world weekly and it's gone. Like the panic is gone. The anxiety is gone. The depression is gone. Um, and yes, it took work. It took work, a lot of work in therapy, a lot of medicine, a lot of exercise, diet, nutrition, but then it also took a lot of inner healing and a lot of prayer work and a lot of spiritual work on the other side. And so I think the combination of the two um, got me to this space. And that's what I'm being really vocal about with people is helping people on this journey right now. It's, this isn't my, like my main gig. This isn't all I talk about, but right now in this season, especially with, especially this last week with what happened to Jared, um, it's just, it's more and more pastors and leaders are struggling with this and I don't think they know what to do. Um, and so all I can say is, I'm, listen, I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a counselor. I'm not a clinical therapist, but I'm healed. And so I can, I can tell you what worked for me. And so, and that's what I'm doing. I'm just kind of being really vocal about what, what's worked for me. Yeah. I don't know that you've read Dan Harris's book, 10% Happier. I have not. Fantastic book. ABC News anchor. He didn't land in the Christian camp, actually okay. ended up using uh, meditation, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's a New York Times bestseller. Anyway, he's on the air. In 2004, exactly what happened to you. Oh, wait, wait. I know that guy. Massive, you know Dan Harris? Well, you, I, I've seen the you, clip. You've seen the clip. Yeah. Where he has this panic attack. Yeah. And so he breaks it down in his book. It's yeah. a fascinating read. And this is happening to more and more high-functioning leaders yeah. where life's going along perfectly well. Next thing you know, I've had it happen to friends too. Next oh, thing yeah. you know, they think they're having a heart attack. They yep. end up in the hospital or yep. you know, in bed for three days. And all of a sudden this anxiety. Yeah. I, I want to unpack what you just said in sure. a little more detail, but go back to when you first had that panic attack. Yeah. 16 years ago, looking back on it now, cause you said it came from out of the blue, right? <laughs> All right. Right. What would you say were the factors leading up to that moment? Mm, man. Um, I would say, well, we, we had a newborn baby. So massive life shift yep. right there. Um, I was at a church plant Mm. And we were working our tails off. I mean, yeah. just grinding. It's all I thought about breakfast, lunch, and dinner before I went to bed. When I woke up in the morning, like it just was, it was nonstop. Like the pace of my life at the time was nonstop. And um, I feel like those two things were, were pretty integral. I was also, I, I, I know I had a predisposition to worry. Like I was a worrier as a little boy. Mm. Like I worried over silly things that people would say were silly. Yeah. Worried my, I would cry in bed at night because I thought my parents would die. Like, oh wow, and they weren't sick. Like, I just would worry. So I had a predisposition. Nowadays, that would be like diagnosed as like general like anxiety disorder. But right. when I was a kid, they 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 were just like, oh, he's just a worrier, you know, like <laughs> yeah, yeah, he's okay, yeah. you know. And so um, I had a predisposition to it as well. Um, but if I look back, I would definitely say that the stress of of my life and my work life 
uh, combined um, with with how unhealthy I was. Like I just was mm. at that time. I think I weighed two hundred forty pounds. Like I was physically, yeah, you know, you're not uh, I, I, yeah, yeah, I'm not six five. I'm five foot nine and a half. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think all those things really contributed to it. And then I, I think what contributed to again to not not healing as as rapidly as I could was was first of all the thought that I'm never going to be healed. That this is just something I'm going to have forever. And then also I think just the the words that were being spoken over me at the time, like you know, th- just uneducated things. Well, we didn't know back then. People just didn't know mm-hmm. back then. And mm-hmm. so. Yeah, going back, looking back, um, I think those were the contributing factors. And I think I think that's a real thing. Like for me, it wasn't so much panic attacks; it was burnout. But right, it hit me. It just came from out of the blue. Hence yeah, the title of the book didn't see it coming. Yeah, but looking back on it, I'm like, oh man, there were clues all over the place, sure. right? And and I think I, you know, Greg McEwen writes about this in Essentialism as well. I think eventually you're just going, 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 and then your body and mind just rebel. Yeah. And say, that's enough. We're yeah. calling a timeout. Absolutely. You, you are done. Yeah. And it's it's bizarre. So you say now you're healed. Do you want to take us through like what we're Yeah, I know that's the... a big statement too, that people are like, uh No, really? no, no. I, yeah. I, I yeah. I'm I'm okay with that. Yeah. Uh, but do you want to take us through <clears throat> some of the physical, like as far as it depends on you, changes that you made in your life and sort of that journey. Yeah. Because the generalized anxiety, I mean, I'm, I'm in a small group at our church at sure. home and I mean, people just struggle with this yeah. all the time. Yeah. You know, so like when it was as bad as it, it was, like my heart would it pound out of my chest if I try to leave my house. It, it, I, I tell people all the time, you know, the feeling when a cop car pulls, especially that people that don't understand this, when a cop car pulls up behind you with the lights on, mm. that, that initial rush of adrenaline that you feel, yeah. like multiply that times 50. And then that's what I was living in that constant state. Like I just was that, I had that feeling in me all the time. There's just no way to live, you know, like it just, and it was, life was good. I mean, life was, I had a baby, I had a job, I had a healthy family. So, um, so that's where I was living. And tell me the question one more time. Yeah. yeah. No, just where, how did, how did that break down? How did you begin to overcome that? Because I think what would have happened to a lot of people, Carlos, is they would have said, look, I just can't go out of my house. Um, I I quit my job or I lost my job. I never left. So how did you begin to... To what steps did yep. you take to push through that? So I'd say 16 years ago, I took the only, only steps I knew how to take. And and A, I just knew my wife doesn't work. Mm. I, I have to pay the bills. So I've got to roll up my sleeves. And this is actually the opposite of what the advice I'd give you people now. But what I did was I rolled up my sleeves and I just muscled my way through it. Like I muscled my way through it. Now, I did go to the doctor that week and he said, oh, you didn't have a heart attack. You had a panic attack. Here's, here's a pill. And I want you to take this every day. And I was like, okay, I had no idea. It was Paxil and it was 20 milligrams a day. And I started taking that and I took 20 milligrams of Paxil a day for 13 years of my life. Wow. Um, and it, it helped. It really it, got it, that, it, like it, that panic. Yeah. I got kind of the, kind of the, the, the panic thing, the panic thing went away. The anxiety was kind of still there, but it definitely helped. Um, and it was a good help. I, um, I changed my diet. Mm-hmm. I started exercising. I started doing all the things that I th- I thought to do. And as I'm Googling, trying to figure out what to do, I, I did that. I started going to counseling. I went to a therapist, kind of started working my way through a lot of fears. I had a lot of health anxiety and I did that. And I'd say, Carrie, that I got to where I was like 60% better for mm. 13 years of my life. Like I was like, hey, this is good. Like like this stuff, is it, it helps medicine. Um, clinical psych- psychology, therapy, mm-hmm. uh, exercise, diet, nutrition, 
this is awesome. But I, honestly, I think four years ago was when I said, do, does John 10, 10 really mean, does life to the full really mean 60% to the full? Hmm. Or is there, is there more that's available to me in this healing? And that's when I started realizing, well, I placed all of my hope in the natural. Yeah. yeah. All of it. And I don't know, this is now, this is just, you, you may not be a Christian, but if you're a Christian, if you've ended up putting all your hope in the natural, um, like, like that's not what your faith, what I found my faith was about. So I said, you know what, if I'm going to get a hundred percent, I wonder if I, if I need to shift that and I need to start looking at my help is the natural and my hope is the supernatural. My help mm. is the natural. Mm. My hope is the supernatural. That's good. And I flipped this, the script and Carrie, when I did that, I found all of these resources supernaturally, inner healing, um, heart sync, restoring the foundations. These are just different programs that I started doing. I mean, I went to onsite. I talk about that in my in my book, Kill the Spider. Mm. Uh, it's a Is it's that a, with Miles with Adcox. Miles Adcox. Yeah. Um, and it was an amazing program. But even after onsite, like I was still only sixty percent better. Like I wasn't wow. all the way. And I just thought, how can I get there? So suddenly I I flipped this this script and I and I said, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna go for hundred percent. And then I, I started doing a program called Heart Sync, a program called Restoring the Foundations. Um, and these are blatantly Christian inner healing um, ministries. And that's where, that's when it all went away. Can when, you give us, I, just because I know, I mean, obviously this is months and months and years and years of work, yeah. but can you give us, because that's new to me, Heart Sync and yeah. what was the other Restoring one? Restoring the Foundations. Restoring the Foundations. Can you yeah. give us just a thumbnail of yeah. what those are about? Yeah, Because so, I've done Inner Healing Prayer and it's yeah. pretty amazing. Yeah, what, what I love about Heart Sync is it's like 50% psychology and like like clinical research stuff and then 50% like Holy Spirit, inner healing. So mm. the people that are practitioners of this are actually like, clinical therapists that also believe in the supernatural. Okay. And so they're able to connect the two because again, I, I believe in both. I believe in, yeah. I, I believe that therapy is important, but so, so is Holy Spirit heart sync work. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, it's a lot of, um, if you've done any sort of inner healing prayer um, where you're searching for agreements you've made with lies um, and then you are, um, you're breaking those agreements, you know, in, in the places you're asking the Holy spirit to lead you to these places. Um, I, I was, there were things that, that in three weeks of heart sink and restoring the foundations that healed in me that I, you know, I don't know, 10 years of therapy. I never even got to really. Uh, yeah. Can you give an example? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, I would say, okay, specifically like my health anxiety. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I just was, WebMD was like my worst enemy and my best friend. Like I was, if I, if my pinky got numb, I'll yeah. be dead in two days. Like yeah. in my head, like I'm just, you know, so like I'm going to, and, and therapy wasn't fixing it for me. So like I went to, um, John Elam was my practitioner's name in Nashville. And it was so funny. Again, little, little clue into the next book. I, I go through this whole thing of, of my inner healing work in my next book that's coming out. And John, I walk into this, you know, this man's room, he's, you know, older gentleman, super wise, kind of looks like he just leaks Jesus out of him. Hmm. And he sits me down and we go through, Carrie, the whole thing is three hour sessions. My eyes are closed the entire time. Um, and we're just asking, actually, he's like, I'm not going to do anything. We're just going to ask the Holy Spirit to lead you to where you need to go, Carlos. Where, 
where do you need to go today that feels safe? You know, and the first time I did this, it was so weird. I just like, it was so, I'm like, what is happening? Like, I'm, I'm kind of halfway open to my right eye, looking at this guy going like, what, uh-huh. this is so weird. My first experience with that kind of thing yeah. was, I just wanted to get in the yeah. car and go home. Yeah, I just want to get, and I'm so like, get like, out of here. Get out of here. And then, and then, you know, so then he's like, just, what do you, what do you see? And I'm like, I don't know. Like, you know, and so it was so hard, <laughs> Carrie. But let me tell you, three hours later, I'm a, in a puddle of tears because I've gotten to spaces. Um, uh, there's a lot of my, the trauma in my life. So a lot of self-inflicted stuff. And then a lot of mm. stuff that I didn't even remember happening to me, um, that, that I was able to, what heart sync does is it brings Jesus back into the spaces of your life yeah. that, that you felt he wasn't there. So what we're doing is we're going back to the spaces where I felt completely alone. Say it was a decision I made to completely destroy my family. You can read that in my last book, Kill the Spider. And what happened here at HeartSync was that I was able to invite Jesus back there. So what, what happens in trauma is, is we the, God has made our minds so amazing that we can literally split like our mind, right? So, mm. so when trauma happens, it's, it's why like a, a five-year-old can be like sexually molested one night and play on the playground with their friends the next night because yeah. God has created our minds in a way that we can be safe from the pain, right? And so what we do is we split off. Um, and I, what I was doing was I was like, I'd split off all the pain. I wasn't thinking about it anymore. I didn't want to go there. And in these sessions, I went back to the place of, these, of the pain but I invited Jesus into those spaces. And that's where the healing, that's why they call it heart sink because you're, you're sinking your heart back together, the broken spaces. And there's, there's evidence, I mean, in psychology, the, oh, but psych- also in faith that oh, you never yeah. really forget. Absolutely. Like, right. you know, you can suppress these things, but you know, a lot of the heart sinks practitioners, I mean, they're, they're showing like brain scans, right? Like, well, like we're talking about Dr. Caroline Leaf is a great, oh, yeah. great person. Yeah. I don't know if you've ever had her on your podcast. No, I, I will you, you should. Yeah. She's, she is a like, clinical psychologist, like a doctor medical that has done all sorts of brain research showing the power of inner healing and what happens in our brain and how your brain literally heals because of this stuff. And so my brain did, like it healed. Can you take us back into like one of those experiences, just to give us an example of the kind of thing that you invited Christ into the center of? Yeah. So let's do this. Let's go back into, let's go into the crux. If you have any listeners, I know a lot of your listeners have read my book, Kill a Spider, because they tell me everywhere I go, oh my gosh, I heard you on Carrie's <laughs> podcast and I bought your book. Um, so let's go back to the, to the season where I'm deceptively having um, this emotional affair. Right. And, um, the, and, that, and porn is still a big part of your Porn is still a big point. part of my life. Um, like huge part, like I'm just living this double life, secret life. Like Heather and the kids go to bed 1am I'm on the sofa, my laptop's open and I'm living my other life. And so when, when I'm in this heart sync session, suddenly he's like, okay, well let's go back to an area of your life that you're just filled with shame. And I immediately, and I don't know why it was this moment, but I remember in the exact condo, we were in Bellevue, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm on the sofa and I'm kind of seeing myself as if I'm kind of floating up in the corner. That's kind of how I picture Maybe there's a camera there and I'm laying on the sofa with my back towards the fireplace. And we lived in a, in a condo where it was just kind of one long hallway. So my eyes are down towards the hallway so I can see anyone coming from, you know, it, I had the right angle, so like, 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 like mm-hmm. I had my, I had my secret angle. Right. And so I'm on that. I'm, ch- I'm, I'm in deep conversation with someone I, sh- I shouldn't be in deep conversation with. I am, I'm actively destroying my family in this moment. And there was such shame in that moment. And so like, as he, 
he's like, so how do you feel looking at this? I just break down. Like, I'm actually like, I don't want to even see that guy. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't want to be here. Like, I hate him. I hate that guy. And what John said to me was so, this was the beginning of my healing, true healing. He said, Carlos, that guy, Christ was like here for that part of you too. And you've been bringing such shame to that part of you. He was, he was just as hurt. I mean, he's, he's so hurt and you're, you're shaming him. So you know what we have to do? We have to invite you back into reconciliation with yourself. Oh, wow. And I was like, what? He said, you've got to forgive that part of you. And you've got to invite that part of you because that part of you actually is still part of you. And so now, right, we're getting like weird, right? We're getting like, okay, but it's all making sense in the moment, right? In the I, moment I as he's talking I get, to me. I get it. So he's like, he's like, Carlos, we've got to invite Jesus into this moment. So I invite Jesus into the moment. And then he's like, "In your, I need you to like sit next to him. I need you to look at him. And so we kind of had this like me and that part of me. He said, you're not going to get rid of that part of you because it always will be a part of you. You need to bring healing to that part of you and bring that part of you back to where you are now. And Carrie, uh, there was it was the most mind blowing experience of my life when this mm. happened, when we got done with this moment and w this kind of conversational intimacy with Jesus and myself and myself, which just sounds weird. And then I'm telling you when, when I got done with that, all of the shame from that I had and all of the hate I had for that version of myself, yeah. it was gone. And when that left, I'm not kidding you. Like my health anxiety somehow was tied to that. Really? And yes, and it just, it like dissipated, it went away. And so this is where I know that like the clinical psychology part is so important, but so is the, the supernatural part, the Jesus part, the Holy Spirit part. Um, and I don't know how it happened, but it did. And I haven't, I mean, that was four years ago and it, it just went away, all of that fear. Well, and I think we've all got moments like that where we look back on our life in a moment, what we said, what we did, who we were in that moment. And we're like, oh, wow. Like, yeah. I hate that guy. I hate that guy. I hate that guy. And, and and that is what is keeping so many people away from their true healing is forgiveness is the key. It is the ticket for so many of us. So how do you look back on that, Carlos, now? Yeah. Um, I, um, I'm actually friends with that Carlos. Really? Because, and, but that doesn't mean you're going to become no, him no, anymore. No, 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 so no. how does that work? Because that version of Carlos was just, he was in such pain. Hmm. He was in such pain that he was using pornography, flirting with people outside of the marriage, all of the, he was using these things to, to, to help him with his pain. Hmm. So, um, so once I made good with that guy, all of the things that I hated about him, the fact that like he was the life of the party. He was always bragging about himself. He was taking selfies in the mirror and posting him on Instagram so that people could tell him how beautiful. Like all those things that I hated about him, actually like, it's okay to, to think well of yourself. And, and what I did was I shut that part of myself down. And it was, it was always from that point on was like, okay, I'm never going to take a selfie anymore. I'm never going to. Uh -huh. So like I went the opposite direction. I'm never going to, to even remotely be okay with the fact that, oh, I think I look attractive today. Or I think I, so like I, I, I butted up against that. Well, what happened is I brought the healthy part of that back into my life now. And so like the, just the self-confidence in me that that guy I shamed away. And so I shamed that self-confidence away. Like it's so healthy and it's in me. And it's actually like, it's a beautiful thing now that yeah. I'm bringing the healthy parts of him, even though I never would have said in the moment there were healthy parts of it. Well, he was, he, there were healthy parts of him, but, um, 
It, it, it can get really confusing, but no, it, no, it, know you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like I just, I, I'm, I made peace with that part of me. And so the healthy parts are, are reconciled to me. And, and how is Heather with all this? Um, she, your wife. Yeah. My wife, Heather is, um, so my, my wife, she, she's kind of the practitioner of inner healing at our church. So this is her, this is her wheelhouse now, right? It took me a long time to get to where she's at. Um, and so she is on cloud nine, like this next season of ministry for us, we're doing it together uh, because she isn't is- Isn't that the best feeling It is the, the world. best feeling because she is like, she sees that the anxiety and the depression has, has gone because I finally took this step into the supernatural. And so um, she's just so proud. I mean, she's just so proud. That's awesome. I'm so glad to hear it. And uh, doing stuff together too. Tony, my wife, who's yeah. here today, you, you guys already met today. Yeah. She's writing a book about the tougher parts in our marriage yeah. and some of the other things she's seen in other marriages as an attorney, as a divorce attorney. Yeah. That'll be out in 2021, I think, yeah. something like that. Anyway, but being able to do this season of ministry together, yeah. like truly together is is incredible. And just because this is, this is a deep well that we're drawing Absolutely. from in this podcast and it's not like, you know, I don't think this is something you can just do and say, okay, I'm going to pray about that time. I was really yeah. ashamed. Right. And then it'll all be fixed in eight minutes. Like <laughs> this is deeper, but I went through around my burnout. Yeah. When I was in my thirties, you know, there are parts of me, the drivenness, all of that, that, um, got twisted. Right. It just got twisted. Mm-hmm. It was like, no, the motive wasn't pure. It wasn't, yeah. it wasn't, wasn't what, and God was using it in yeah. powerful ways. Yeah. Uh, but when I went through some inner healing prayer yeah. and uh, and through lots of counseling and came out on the other side of my burnout, it's almost like God redeems those parts. Yes. He said, you know what? Yes. Okay, that intimacy that you were misdirecting yes. has to be redeemed in your marriage. Yes. That, um, you know, in my case, it was that ambition, that yeah. drive you've got yeah. that is pretty much destroying you and some of the people around you. Actually, why don't you just give that to me? And let be- me completely revolutionize that that part of you that actually isn't bad. Exactly. You know? And yeah. how about we use that for good? Yes. And where I am today, I look at what God has done and it would have been unthinkable, yeah. you know, all those years ago. So this is good. And you, yeah. you're convinced that this has a lot to do with the anxiety, depression, uh, and even to some oh, extent, yeah. I'm not, we're not casting aspersions on anyone no, yeah. who still struggles, Yeah. but that, that is, this is all tied up in that. Yes, it, it really is. Um, you know, and, and also, Carrie, I, I think that, you know, anybody can look at how, how we're living now um, and the pace of life that we're living now and realize that, that the rise of anxiety and depression in, especially in, in America and, or in Canada, I mean, I don't know, in North America, yeah. or this is where I'm hanging out, can be absolutely linked to the, what I like to call, what, what I call it is, I call it story stress. This is just what I think I've slowly figured out through, through research and honestly, through my addictions, through social media and things. Cause, cause I did have a kind of a ride, a peak back up of my anxiety in the last year or so. And I tied it back and I immediately realized that it's, it's the story stress. And let me explain that. When our great grandparents put any story on their shoulders or on their soul, they, it would have to be done through like face-to-face communication or a letter. Someone write them mm-hmm. a letter and tell them, hey, and I'm saying good stories or bad stories. Mm-hmm. I'm getting married. That's, that's great news. And they put it on their, on, their, on their soul. Oh, there's a death in the family. That's bad news. They'd put it on their soul. Up until my great-grandparents' generation, that, that was the pace of story stress. That's how we put other people's stories on our shoulders. Well, then comes my grandparents. Now um, they, they have television 
and they have news and they have newspapers and they have more ways to put more stress. And this is only in the last hundred years on their shoulders. Then my parents' generation, now we've got CNN, 24 hour news cycles. They had the answer machine. Remember those things? We'd have an answer machine with a little tape and then more people could leave more stories for my parents to place on their shoulders and on their souls. And then suddenly my generation, um, Gen X, we got the internet and we got mm-hmm. email and suddenly we have more stories that we're putting. And then suddenly now we wake up in the morning and the research has proven that the first thing we do is we pick up these things and we swipe open to our story stress manuals, which is Twitter, Instagram, news apps, whatever it may be. And we put more stress of stories on our shoulders in 15 minutes than my grandparents did in an entire month. And mm-hmm. so it it's just, there's no way we were created to carry this much. And I'm not talking about just bad news. I'm talking about good news, all, all, news. all, news. all news, good news and bad news. Like, I just don't think that our souls have evolved Past when they were created in the Garden of Eden, yet technology has has accelerated in a way that our souls were never meant to carry what we're carrying now. And I'm convinced that that's why we're seeing this rapid spike in anxiety and depression and mental health, because we weren't created to carry what we're carrying. Carlos, I couldn't agree more. I actually spent, you and I both spent the summer writing, and yeah. I've got a whole chapter in my next book that'll come out a year from now, in okay. 2020, on that. Yep. And just- the crazy amount of information. Yeah. And I don't know about you, like I am muting more and more channels yes, all the time. Yes, absolutely. It's just like, I don't need to hear that. Yep. It's irrelevant. Yep. If the world is really going to blow up, yep. I'm going to find out one way or the other. Yeah. And uh, there's this, uh, I did some research, I mean, a month or two outside of the manuscript, but there's a number and the name just, but it's actually, I want to say Rorschach, but that's uh-huh. it. That's a different test. That's the ink test. But um, it's a Dunbar's number, okay. Dunbar's number that actually clinical psychology has shown most people are only capable of carrying a certain amount of friendships. Absolutely. Reasonably. Yes. And what's happened with social media is it's just blown up. Yeah. It's like, I, I've given up on friend requests on Facebook. Right, right. On my personal account. <laughs> I actually started over again wow. a few years ago yeah. with a new account thinking, yeah. this is going to be the people I know. Yeah. There's thousands now wow. of people who want to be my friend. And I'm like, well, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to hit the 5,000 friend level. Yep. Yep. And I'm going to have to create a new account. Yep. So I've just basically, I just ignored them. Yeah. And it's the weirdest thing because I can only cope with so much information. Absolutely. So you think, can we talk about social media yeah. and how that has fueled your... Yeah anxiety spiral, but you still use it. So how yeah. have you learned? To yeah, cope with I that? definitely have, have mechanisms in place now to where, where, um, I use it in a healthy way. Cause I, I do, I mean, my life livelihood is based on my social media account, oh, my me Instagram. Too. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's what it is. And, and so we're doing a podcast. We're doing a podcast. I listen a lot. <laughs> right, like, like right, we're, yeah. we're producing more information for people to consume. Exactly. Um, but, but, um, you know, it's, I definitely have some things. Let, let's get practical for a yeah. second for the listeners. Um, I've got some things in place in my life that have drastically eliminated kind of this, this social anxiety. So not social anxiety, social media kind of uh, forced anxiety. First thing I've done is I, I bought an alarm clock. Hmm. Do you guys remember those things? Uh-huh. That it's a clock that you plug in and all it does is tell you the time and it wakes you up. And it, that's next to my bed now. And no longer is my phone next to my bed because yeah. what we've done is we've turned our alarm clock. Now our phones are alarm clock and it's everything else. And so- of course, we're just, the last thing we do in bed is we're scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. The first thing we do in the morning is we scroll, we scroll, we scroll. Well, that doesn't happen anymore. Now, when I wake mm. up, guess what? All I've, all I've done is woken up. I get up, I have breakfast, I read the paper. That's another thing I've done. I ordered 
a subscription to a newspaper that, that comes with that actual comes paper with actual paper to my door. And like, there's a guy that throws it to my, like in my yard. I feel like it's 1980 sitcom every morning. I walk out with my coffee and that's where I'm getting my news every day yeah. is from a newspaper. And guess what? I, I can't just endlessly scroll when I'm done. I'm done when it's over, it's over. Mm. And the other major thing that I've done, and this, this could be transformative for a lot of your listeners if they do this and it's hard to do, but every single night I delete Instagram and Twitter off my phone every wow. single night. And at noon, the next day, I reinstall it for an hour and I consume the content. And then I delete it again when I'm done. And then I reinstall it at 8 p.m. And then I consume and I upload my stories. Like people are like, well, how do you upload stories? Well, I'm still taking videos during the day. Like, like if, if I'm doing an Instagram story, I'm creating my content, but I'm not wow. uploading it until I only have for two hours a day. Do I have those apps on my phone? And Carrie, it has been the most freeing thing because now from eight to 9 a.m., or excuse me, from, from 12 to 1 p.m., I have it. And then from, uh, it depends, like probably 8 to 9 p.m., I have it again, then I delete it again. It has become like the pattern and the rhythm in my life has become so healthy because of that. It's just not on every single day. When I'm on an airplane, I don't have Twitter on my phone. I'm not, I don't Instagram. I'm not just scrolling unless I'm on from 12 to 1 or 8 to 9. And so those two things, just those two things, the alarm clock um, and the kind of the story stress removal of Instagram and Twitter on a daily basis has um, has really helped a lot. That's yeah. that's powerful. I read uh, one of my reads this year was Digital Minimalism by Cal okay. Newport. Yeah. Uh, similar thing. Yeah. Uh, and so uh, I think that's really helpful. I want to talk a little bit about, um, you're so open. You're such an open book. Yeah. I was having a conversation with another well-known author uh earlier this week yeah. after actually Jared Wilson's suicide. Yeah. And, you know, she is somebody who's pretty open, pretty transparent. Uh-huh. And yet there are some people who say, well, if you're in leadership, yeah. you you can't really struggle with mental health. Right. And I'm sure there's a line at which you're not Absolutely. helping anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I remember uh, uh, there was there was a post that came out, and I won't name who, after sure. Jared Wilson's suicide that yeah. basically said, anybody who struggles with mental health can't be in can't leadership. Be leadership. I'd yeah. love to get, I know you responded. I'd love to get. I, I did. I never, I never carry, do that on the internet. I never bring up beef. My whole thing online is I'm a hope dealer. Like I, I yeah, tell people that, you know, I feel. Um, but I, I, it was such a dangerous post that I had to say something. Mm. And, and within, I, I replied back and actually, actually all I replied, I didn't even like put rebuttals to his points. I just said, this is gross. Mm. This is gross that you would use Jared Wilson's suicide to try to make your point about leadership. Like, first of all, just the timing is gross. Everything about it is just makes me nauseous. That's all I'm going to say. So then, mm. then I, I got like a thousand likes on that comment on his thing. And then it, and I knew by commenting on his, in his world that I was going to get destroyed get, by his, yeah. by, by his people, which is fine. But then more and more of my friends started, you know, and, and it's just bullcrap. It yeah. just is bullcrap. Like I look at, I look at David and I look at the Psalms and he was the most bipolar human being on the planet <laughs> from Psalm 49 <laughs> to Psalm 51. Woe is me. God, you, I hate you. My life is miserable to God. You're the greatest. You're the dentist. And talk about mental illness. Talk about somebody that struggled. Like I look at that and you know, the, the rebuttals are, well, we, we have, qualifications for leadership in the church. When you go to the new Testament and things are different. Well, here's the thing you can still, st nobody 
is perfect. We're all going to struggle with mental illness in some way, shape, or form. I mean, mm-hmm. there, there's a stat that says, you know, look at your friends. One out of every four people is going to have a diagnosable mental illness in their life. And so <laughs> I, I just can't imagine g- getting to the space where you would believe that if you struggle with mental illness, you you can't have a capacity to serve in leadership in one way, shape, or form. It's just it's just a lie and it's not true. Yeah. Um, and I've seen so many pastors do so much good um, that have struggled and been authentic with their depression or anxiety. Now, here's the deal. I'm not saying that that there isn't a line, like you said, right. where it's time to step out and to and to recover and to find healing. Absolutely. Um, but you cannot throw a blanket statement out there like that. And it, what it does is it brings shame and it it makes leaders hide their mental illness is what it does. Yes. Yeah. And and that which is only exactly, makes it worse. which only makes it worse. And I know neither of us are doctors, psychologists, but if there was, if you have any thoughts around where that line might be, like you said, with your panic attacks, you kind of soldiered on. I did that after my burnout. I I refused a sabbatical that was offered to me. And I think I'm relatively healthy these days. That's what people say. Do you have any thoughts on like where, how you know, like, okay, I got to take a break or no, I I, I can push through this. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, I feel like everybody, if you even have, if you even have to ask yourself that question, gosh, do I need to take a break? The answer is yes. Mm. So I think that that is, because here's the thing, mental illness, there is still not, when it comes to medicine and, you know, serotonin levels, there is no test when you go to the doctor that they can measure your serotonin levels, Right. right? But everyone's like, well, my doctor said my serotonin level's low. Well, how does the doctor know? Because- they don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, so I can take a blood pressure test and you can see if my blood pressure is high or low. There is no, so it's still all guessing. So he, here's, here's why I'm saying that is because th- there is no way, there's no way to measure it besides what you feel. If you feel like things are starting to come off the rails, it's time to take a break. It's time. If you have suicidal thoughts, oh, yeah. right? Like it is, it not only is it time to take a break, it's time to get help. It's time to, you know, maybe we can put the suicide help you know, helpline crisis yeah, we line. Will. We'll put it in the notes. on this in the notes. Reach out, reach out. You're you're not created a soldier soldier through this and like fight through this. Um, you know, take a break. And honestly, like I think that um, sabbaticals need to be more not just for high level leadership in the church. I think that your children's worker mm-hmm. that is that there needs to be a way that the church realizes that we. We, we were not created to grind like this and everybody needs rest. Everybody needs more rest. And so, um, you know, I don't know what the line is, uh, but mm-hmm. I know everybody feels it and, and you can, you can kind of figure it out on yourself. If you've, if you feel like you've got to wake up and muscle through something, um, then it may be time to take a break. Well, and I think the other thing too is wherever that line is, uh, definitely try to get help. Like yes. if you're like a few lights are going on, you got two lights on your dashboard yep. after hearing this, it's like, okay, you better go talk to a doctor. Yeah. You better go talk to your best friend. Yes. Somebody, I heard this expressed recently, but tell somebody who, cause you could tell anybody and they go like, well, I don't know what to do with that. Right. Yeah. But tell somebody who, who has the, who cares about you enough to make sure you get help. Yeah, absolutely. No, He's I got your best interest. In absolutely. Mind. And you got to have that person. Wow. Well, this is uh, this has been so life giving, Carlos. Anything else you want to share? Um, well, w- one thing that that I've done and I, I've seen about four four months ago, I shared about a, a day or two struggle that I that I was having 
with, I don't know if I would even label it depression, but I was feeling it. Um, and overnight I said, Hey, if anybody would, would like to know what I've done, I'm not a, again, I'm not a therapist. I'm not a mm-hmm. counselor, but I am somebody that's, that's gone through this season and I've come out on the other side. Let me, give me your email. Like, just let me know. And I mean, Carrie, like I've got, let's, let's just see the percentage. I've got 40,000 Instagram followers. I put it on my Instagram thing. I thought I'd get 40 emails. Nah. I got 10,000 emails. That's crazy. 10, 25% of my audience gave me their email and said, I'm struggling with this and I need help. And so I've, I, I basically created like a, like a 30 day, just this is what Carlos has done. And maybe hopefully it'll help you kind of thing. And all 10,000 people went through it. Um, and people can find it at serotoninspark.com. Serotoninspark.com. And so if people, yeah, link to the show notes and go there. And it's a free little video series that just where I'm kind of giving you what I've done and what I've seen work. Um, on both sides, the natural and the supernatural. And, and it's helped a lot of people. So That's cool. people want to do that. Carlos, you're always uh, so life-giving to talk with. It's never, ever boring. Thanks, buddy. Thank you so much. And yeah. people, what's a home base for you these days on the internet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Still, uh, I mean, really home base is Instagram for me. Yeah. Like it's L-O-S-W-H-I-T, Los Wit. Uh, and then from my profile there, you can get to, to anywhere you need to get to. So okay. I'm on Facebook, barely, but I'm on Twitter a lot if I want to argue. And then, that's all it's good for these days. Yeah. But uh, yeah, you can hang out with me on there. Carlos, thanks, man. Yeah. Well, that was real. It always is and never boring. I never know where Carlos is going to go, where he's coming from. And yeah, you know what? I still blog. I still do. You can find that at leadlikeneverbefore.com or kerryneuhoff.com. Takes you to the same place. And guys, 10 million downloads right around the corner. I am so pumped for that. On the day that we hit it, I don't know when that's going to be. We're going to be watching. We'll give away $1,000 worth of Starbucks in 24 hours. So turn on notifications on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. I'm Kerry Newhoff on Instagram, C. Newhoff on Twitter and Facebook. We're going to share the love, and we are so excited to bless you guys as the leaders on that. And then five of you, five listeners, we're going to spend a day together in 2020 in beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, one of my favorite cities. We're going to fly you in, all expenses paid. I'm going to do a day of coaching with you. We really want to celebrate you, invest in your leadership. So if you want to hang out, go to leadlikeneverbefore.com slash 10 million. That's our 10 million download giveaway. It's a uh, day with me, all expenses paid. And man, we are so excited to do that. You have until December 13th to sign up. So it's just a couple of weeks. So head on over to leadlikeneverbefore.com slash 10 million. Make sure also that you check out marriedpeople.org forward slash carry. And uh, you only got a few more days to check out promediafire.com forward slash 2020. Thank you to our partners. They've been with us through all these downloads and make sure that you get the very best for free. There are costs associated with it, but guess what? You guys don't pay them. And we try to bring you partners that we think you will love. Well, next week on the podcast, we have a really exciting episode. We have a couple of people that I work with. We've got Sarah Piercy, my longtime assistant, and Dylan Smith, who are both on my team. They are great, sensational people, fantastic. Uh, I think high capacity young leaders. I hired Sarah when she was 22, Dylan when he was 19. And we talk all about working together, and how to develop young leaders, and so much more. And that is actually next week on the show. Here's an excerpt from that pretty honest conversation. For a while, 
I didn't realize you actually wanted to know how I was doing. Mm. Like, I don't know how long it actually took me to realize that, but you just kept asking. So how are you doing? No, really, how are you doing? Mm. And you did a thoughtful job of asking follow-up questions when I would answer that showed me that you're really curious about how I'm doing, not, yeah. not just at work. And I think once I realized that, then I felt like I could tell you that I went speed dating and how it went. <laughs> and it was a, it was a good, <laughs> it was a good laugh. And it was a whole lot of fun too. So uh, guys, I'm so excited for that. So that's coming up next week. Again, if you subscribe, you get it absolutely free. And now on to Ask Carrie. I know a lot of you are really enjoying this segment of the show. So, so am I. And the question comes from Chris and he wants to know what are the best ways to move a growing church off of a board-based governance system to a more efficient system of governance, especially in today's hyper-connected world? Great question, Chris. Comes up with a lot of people. I mean, Board-led organizations, I think the toughest form of government for any organization, and actually this is true, I've talked to people who lead publicly traded companies, you know what they live under? The tyranny of the 90-day results, the phone call to investors, it's like not good enough, share price down. That's kind of like congregational ministry. And congregational ministry, you are just always, yeah, under a microscope. And how do you get, you know, 50 people, 100 people, 500 people, 1,000 people to agree on anything, you kind of don't. So it's a really challenging governance system. But what a lot of churches have, especially mid-sized churches, is board-based governance system. And I went through that. We went through congregational government at the churches I started out at to board-based government. And I thought board-based was going to take us there for a long time. But you know what? You hit a limit. And you hit a limit. I teach this in the Church Growth Masterclass. You can learn more at churchgrowthmasterclass.com. Uh, but I, I know at four to 600, we ran into the limit of what board-based governance can do. And here's the problem you're going to run into if you're wondering why this is an issue. Um, when you're a really small church, you can go to your board and say, okay, here are the five things I've been working on for the last month, blah, blah, blah. What do you think? What do you think? What do you think? By the time you get to four to 600 people, there's not five things you've been working on. There's like 50. And you just think about it. You probably have a, a handful of staff, you probably have half a dozen staff at that point. So half a dozen staff working 40 hours a week is 240 hours of staff productivity in a typical week times a month is you're pushing a thousand hours. And here's what, here's where I ran into the wall. I'm trying to explain in a two hour board meeting, what happened in a thousand hours of ministry in the course of a month. I was writing like eight page reports to these poor elders going, okay, you need to know this, you need to know that, you need to know this, you need to know that. You're just gonna hit a wall. Well, now, you know, we're like 1500 people on the weekend. You can't possibly summarize what's happening in the church uh, in a detailed way. And so the transition you have to make if you wanna grow is to move from board-based to staff-led. And so part of that, honestly, is just sharing the vision I just shared. You asked, how do you do it? Talk about the why, not just the what. So explain that really board-based governance doesn't scale. And if you want to figure out why it doesn't scale, 10x your problem, okay? So right now, I, I don't know how big your church is, Chris, but let's say it's a church of 400. Well, what if you're a church of 4,000? Then what happens? It's like, ah, yeah, we can't possibly summarize all that and have intelligent board members. Our board meetings were going way too late and still we weren't getting to all the issues. It's just impossible to do that. So you have to become staff led. And if people are looking for analogies, 
Um, imagine being on the board of a local hospital. Let's say it's a $100 million hospital, healthcare institution, and you're a board of directors. So you're an accountant, you're a lawyer, and you're sitting on the board of directors, and you hear from the CEO of that hospital, what are you looking for? You're looking for high-level decisions. You're not looking for, you know what? We ran out of supplies in the stock room for, you know, surgical gowns. And we, we think we found a, a person who can supply surgical gowns for 3% less. You're like, this is not a board-level thing. But a lot of churches operate at that level with their boards. So what you need to do is you need to say, you know, so what are you looking for if you're running a $100 million healthcare institution? You're looking for high-level decisions. Hey, we're thinking of opening a cancer clinic. What do you guys think? Hey, uh, we're looking at this. Hey, we are uh, going to be 10% under budget this year. What are, you know, these are my recommended strategies for the board. That's how a board operates. And uh, that is what has to happen in a larger church. So it has to become staff-led. Couple of guidelines for staff led. Number one, trust has to be high, all right? And you have to be accountable to that board. So if things are not going well, um, the board can speak into that. And that of course also means the power to hire and fire, that they should have the power to hire and fire the senior pastor. So uh, that is something that you have to be willing to be accountable to. You have to be willing to be accountable to the board. Another key component would be single person accountability. You don't want the board going around to other people on staff trying to manage them. No, you manage the staff, you are accountable to the board. So those are some clean lines. I say a lot more at churchgrowthmasterclass.com if you're interested in more. I actually have a whole unit on governance where I not only walk you through it, but I walk your board through it and why it's so important. So uh, the more efficient system of governance, I would say is staff led, has to be high trust, high accountability, but then you get to give the executive level summaries to the board and really tap into their expertise at the level that they can provide it. So hope that helps, Chris. Man, keep the questions coming on any social platform. Just use the hashtag AskCarrie. We are searching for those on a regular basis. Thanks for the questions, guys. Thanks so much for listening. And the 10 million download is right around the corner. Go to leadlikeneverbefore.com slash 10 million. That's one zero million. And uh, man, it's going to be exciting. Can't wait to hang out with five of you next year in Nashville. We'll uh, pick up the bill for that. Does that sound good? And uh, we'll see you next time. And I hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.